as has been referenced already, this is Pentecost Sunday. <clears throat> and um, Pentecost was one of uh, three big festivals. Uh, it was 50 days after uh, Passover. Passover was, was when Jesus was sacrificed, the Lamb of God. And Penta means five, and so Pentecost is 50 days after, 27 uh, weeks after. And um, so, uh, that, and then the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And Pentecost was really a celebration, excuse me, yeah, celebration of harvest. And so, uh, this morning I want to talk to you about some things that to me are very, very significant. I, I don't think I'm going to get finished with the message unless you want to stay for two hours. But uh, we won't do that today. But I've titled this message, Purposely Predestined for Mission. Purposely predestined for mission. Paul has already said that a lot of people have the idea that church is about Sunday, but it's not really about Sunday. Uh, a lot of times we, we use terms that are not even biblical. They're not even healthy. We say that so-and-so, Rodney and Paul, are in full-time ministry. Well, wait a minute. There's no such thing as full-time ministry. If you're saved, you're saved full-time. And you're saved full-time to serve because the word ministry means serve. And so there's no such thing as a person who is saved being in full-time ministry and others not. Because the moment I say I'm in full-time ministry, then it gives somebody the idea they're not in full-time ministry. The purpose of my life is to be a blessing unto the Lord and to other people. And it's not just about Sunday morning. I've been reminded recently... Um, Back probably about 2010, maybe 2009, uh, we were in South Africa, and I was doing the very spiritual thing of sitting in a coffee shop, and I was on my computer uh, checking baseball scores back in the United States. And right in the middle of that, the Lord asked me a question. He said, do you need more of me, or do I need more of you? And he had my attention. I think the answer to both of those is true, but the Lord was after something. He said, do you need more of me, more from me, or do I need more from you? And he followed it up with the second question. He said, if you're not living in the fullness of what I've already given you, then why should I give you more? And then he took me to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, in the first and second chapter, there in the upper room, and they were in the upper room, they were in one accord, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. Now, what happened after that? The Holy Spirit was poured out, and God moved them out. And they reached out, and they gave out. Two chapters later, God poured out again, and they continued to reach out and to give out. And what the Lord was showing me is if we want more from him, what we do is, is that we take what he's given us and we give it away to others. We discover that the bigness of God is manifested in our lives as we connect with people who need what we have. Now, I don't have anything of any value except what God has given me. I'm just like everybody else. You know, my whiteness is not a great thing, and somebody's blackness is not a great thing. 
Our value is not in our natural identity. Our value is in our identity as being children of the Most High God and the workings of God in our hearts. So on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his Holy Spirit. So why do we gather on Sundays? What's the purpose of this? Well, the dynamic of the gathering is this. The Lord's desire is that there be more happen as a result of being in here, that there be more happen out there than happens in here. I think I made reference last week, not last week, but sometime recently, that Paul wrote something back in 20, 2009, 2010, something like that. He wrote something that really impacted me. And, and that was that we, we have everything backwards in the church. Our focus is Sunday. We build up to Sunday. The whole focus of the week is Sunday. And then after that, there's a letdown. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Sunday's supposed to be, it's, first of all, it's the first day of the week. It's launch day. It's a day to be impacted, to be launched, to carry out there what God does in here. I think I'll talk to these people for a while. I said, we are supposed to have Sunday as launch day. What God does in here, we're to carry it to others out there. So why do we gather? First of all, we gather to glorify God. Secondly, we gather to be girded. What does girded mean? It means to be prepared and reinforced. I don't know about you, but I need to be pre prepared and reinforced. All of us need it. In other words, uh, we have the idea that the moment we're saved, we're fixed. We are fixed from the standpoint that he's given us eternal life. But we're to be equipped. We are to be prepared and reinforced. We're to be, we gather to be girded. We better to be gathered to be goaded. To be goaded, what does it mean to be goaded? Prodded and pressed. Have you ever felt by the word of the Lord you've been prodded and pressed? I have. The Bible says scripture is given. All scripture is God-breathed and it's given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All of us need to be reproved and to be corrected. Every one of us, there's not a person alive that doesn't need to be corrected. As a matter of fact, if you want a picture of biblical correction, here's what it is. Watch carefully. Was that bottle designed to sit like that? As a matter of fact, if you take the lid off of that bottle while it's sitting like that, what's the problem? Its capacity is diminished because what's in it spills out. Now watch slowly. I'm going to do this in slow motion so you don't miss it. You want a biblical picture of correction? Wow. Is that painful? No. Not unless you're bent on sitting like that. <laughs> it can be painful if you're bent on sitting like that. But if you want to be made right, that's what correction. The scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. So we gather to glorify God. We gather to be girded. We gather to be goaded, which is to be prodded and pressed. 
Why do we need to be girded and goaded so that we'll go give away to others what we've been given? What we have, it's, it, it's a shame that I have this great salvation and I'm not willing to share it. I'm not willing to give it away. For us to want this more from God. Remember the question, the original question the Lord asked me is, do you need more from me or do I need more from you? For us to want this more from God and have a desire to give it away to others, we must have revelation of why he has left us here after he saved us. Some people have the idea that we're saved only so we can go to heaven. Well, thank God that when we die, we go to heaven. But I don't know about you, but I'm not dead yet. So that's taken care of. My faith in Jesus is what gets me in the presence of God there. But if the only reason he saved us was to take us to heaven when we die, then it would have been good on the day we were saved that we were killed. Because otherwise, we're just wasting time and space. No, there's a purpose for us to be here. If you have your Bibles, you can, Roman, you can open to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And I can see clearly I'm not even going to begin to get close. Anyway. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now to begin with, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It is not saying, it is not saying everything that happens to every Christian works together for their good. It is not saying that. To begin with, this is not a standalone verse. It's put right in the middle of a specific context. And I'm not even going to get into the context. But the context it's put in is that the Holy Spirit helps us when we don't know how to pray as we should. And it's saying that everything, the working of the Spirit and everything is working for our good. But if you want to make it a standalone verse, it says, all things work together for those who love God. Do you know what Jesus said about loving him? He said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Jesus said, if you really love me, you'll do what I say. And so a person who is set on doing what Jesus said, then whatever happens in his life can work for our good. But let me give you two other translations. The contemporary English version says, we know God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. And the New International Version says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. But this is not supposed to be a cute bumper sticker or fridge magnet. 
that we just put our hand on and say, well, everything that happens to me today is going to work out for my good. There's a lot of things that have happened to me because of my stupidity that did not work out for my good. So it's, it's not a standalone verse, but we miss the whole purpose. And it comes on and says, to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do you realize that you are called according to his purpose? You're not called to live in your purpose. And I'm not saying you need to change your job. I'm not saying that at all. And to be called doesn't mean you've got to, you've got to enter, quote, official ministry. It means that to the calling, one of the meanings of the word call means to bear the name of Jesus. I am marked for life. I don't represent Rodney Lloyd anymore, primarily. I represent Jesus. I bear his name. As a matter of fact, I personally believe that the commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, is more about assuming the name of Jesus on my life and then living contrary to that. To bear his name. I am marked forever. Not because I'm a preacher. We see in this one verse three very significant words concerning us in relation to our lives here on earth. First word is purpose. Second word is destiny. And third word is mission. God has purposely predestined us for mission. So first of all, why am I here? That's a question of purpose. Why am I here? Why am I here? Am I here to make millions? You may make millions and you may not make millions. That's not purpose. Why am I here? Am I here to make a name? Am, am I here to fulfill the American dream? No, that's not why we're here. Those things can happen along the way, but that's not why we're here. Where am I headed? That's a question of destiny. A question of destiny. What, where, what's my intended, what's God's intended destiny for all of us? He's predestined us. I'll talk about that in a minute. When I say predestination, I'm, I don't mean like the Presbyterian who fell down the steps and he tumbled down, tumbled down, got to the bottom, he got up and dusted himself off and said, well, I'm glad that's over. He had a mind of predestined that everything that happens to him has been predestined by God. Well, if that's the case, then every murder that happened, every rape that happened last night has been predestined by God. That's insanity. That's hogwash. Poppy, 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 poppycock and tommy rot. <laughs> <laughs> I have a great vocabulary, anyway. <laughs> and third question is, what am I doing in this journey? There's a journey. My journey is 74 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I've not done perfectly by any stretch of the imaginations. I've actually had a couple of uh, sessions, uh, seasons of stupid in my life. I don't know if you've had any sessions of stupid, seasons of stupid. But I know God's not finished with me yet. 
You know, a, a man that I greatly respect who has spoken into my life just through his things I've listened to him. I've never met him. And through th things I've read, uh, he passed away recently. Tim, Tim Keller, he, he, he went to be with Jesus. And, you know, he, he said he, he posted something not long before he died. And he said, he said, my wife and I have had this discussion. He said, the issue is not whether we live or die. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said that. He said, whether I live, I live to the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. So whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord. <laughs> In other words, the, the issue, we're all going to die. Every one of us, we will die someday. But the reality is, what do we do while we're alive? You know, there's such a powerful passage in Hebrews that Jesus delivered us from the fear of death. That we can come to the place that death no longer causes fear because our life is secure in Jesus, in this world and that. And I'm convinced that anybody who dies in Christ would not want to come back to this ball of dust. So we're on a journey. And it should mean something to us that this journey has purpose and meaning. And there's a mission for me. So what am I doing on this journey? That's a question of mission. We're called according to his purpose. Now, the word purpose in the Greek is a very interesting word. You, you don't need to know the Greek word, but what it means is, it means a setting forth or before. The, the, this, this is an example of what purpose means. I have set that before me. I set it forth. It's a setting into view. It, and, and, and this is what the Greek word means, especially the showbread in the temple. The showbread, the bread of his presence, or the bread of, of the face, or the continual bread. You know, if you've ever studied the tabernacle, uh, everything in the tabernacle pointed to Jesus. God gave instructions to Moses to build a tabernacle. And part of that tabernacle, there was holy of holies where God lived. And then outside, the, but that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was a, was a curtain. That curtain was torn from top to bottom when Jesus' body was broken on the cross, thus ushering everyone in the presence of God. But before that, there was a table just outside the curtain, outside of the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, and there were 12 loaves of bread on that table, each Loaf represented one of the tribes of Israel. And that bread had to be kept fresh. That's why it's called the continual bread. And so the, the secondary meaning, even of the Greek language, is showbread. The loaves were ever before the Lord, fully exposed to him. And so the idea is this. He knows we are ever before him. In other words, a great meaning of the word purpose is that I live my life before the Lord. On Sunday morning and on Saturday night. Saturday night live. Saturday night fever. 
In other words, I live before the Lord all the time. I belong to Him. He bought me with a price. I don't belong to me anymore. So if I have an understanding, a revelation of purpose, a great meaning of, of His purpose for my life is that whatever I do, I do it with all of my heart to the Lord. If I work out, I do it as unto the Lord. If I'm in school, I do it as unto the Lord. If I'm on a job I hate, I do it as unto the Lord. Because it's from the Lord I will receive the reward. For we serve the Lord Christ. In other words, what, what happens is, is that when I have a revelation of what it means to be bought by the blood of Jesus, it's not just an escape from hell. Thank God it is that. It's not just an entrance to heaven when I'm dead. It means that. But it means that my life is ordered to live in a way before the Lord that brings pleasure to Him. And let me tell you something. The only thing that pleases me really is what pleases Him. If I'm doing something that doesn't please him, even though my flesh may be titillated for a while, it doesn't please me. I have no pleasure in sinful things. And if I do, then I need to check up on my condition. He knows we're ever before him, fully exposed to him. Hebrews 4 tells us that about the word of the Lord. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder, the separation of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and there is nothing that is not naked and exposed before the one to whom we must give account. And so the purpose of my life is to live before the Lord. Now, your, your individual steps and things may be different than mine, but all of it is to be before the Lord. You may not be called to preach like I am. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you're like uh, Paul number two over here. Maybe he's number three. Paul number one's in heaven. That's Paul number two. That's Paul number three. <laughs> Until we get another Paul, and then number four will come. You know, he's been an EMS guy. Now he works with respiratory people that are in respiratory distress. I think that's what you're doing. And, and other distress. Well, he does that, and he does it very proficiently. But he does it in serving the Lord. He serves people in serving the Lord, and he serves the Lord in serving people. I'm not called to do that. Remember that verse said that uh, we are called according to his purpose. All of us are called. We're called to God, and we live it out in various professions, various settings. Sharon lives it out taking care of animals. Thank God. Animals need to be taken care of. <laughs> Just get them saved. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> We must live in the revelation of knowing that we are ever before him, fully exposed to him, and live our lives accordingly. <clears throat>
I want to bring pleasure to my Father. This is the purpose of my life and of each life on the earth, to live before the Lord for his pleasure. That's the purpose of your life. It's simple. Live before the Lord for his pleasure. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, I make this my aim, whether I'm alive or dead, I make this my aim, I want to please the Lord. The target is please the Lord. The target, what are you aiming for? Please the Lord. Now let's talk about destiny. The word destiny is not in the Bible, but predestined is. Predestined is in the New Testament four times. Twice in Romans, in the same passage, and twice in Ephesians. I don't have time to look at those in Ephesians. But destiny is about where we're going, the destination of our lives. Romans 8, 29a, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. God is different from us. The Bible says God knows the ending from before the beginning. How do you do that? Well, you're God. <laughs> I'm not God. God knows the ending from before the beginning. God spoke to Jeremiah, I mean, uh, Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah. Before, while you were in your womb, I knew you. He said, while you were in your womb, I knew you. And I mean, there's just, uh, while you were in your mother's womb, while you were in your womb. <laughs> Jeremiah was not self-born. He was not in his own womb. He didn't have a womb. Although in this culture, we're not sure. But anyway, I am sure. I'm very sure. <laughs> okay. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Many Christians believe our destiny is heaven. Our destiny is heaven when we die. But our destiny is different while we're alive. The word destiny is not in predestined, as I said. God predestined us based on his foreknowledge. The Greek for foreknowledge means to know beforehand or to know in advance. Now, the only way we can do that is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can show us things to come. Or somebody can give us a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. That would be about the future, a word of wisdom. Uh, but it, by ourselves, we can't know the future. And if you dabble with horoscopes, that's a waste of time because that's not going to tell you your future either. And by the way, I won't get into that, but horoscopes is not of God. They're not of God. They're anti-God, as a matter of fact. So I'm not trying to step on your toes, but just if you want to talk to me about it, you can talk to me about it. Um, so pre, pre, uh, foreknowledge means to know beforehand or to know in advance. Predestined, the word means from before the foundation of the world. This is what God is saying. By his foreknowledge, he predestined us. He's simply saying this, from before the foundation of the world, I have seen you, and I have known you, and I have always had in my heart who you are and what I made you for. Now hear that again. For God to foreknow and predestine us just simply means this. From before the foundation of the world, I have seen you and I have known you 
and I have always had in my heart who you are and what I made you for. I don't know if you've ever thought back to your BC life. I'm not talking about before COVID. I'm talking about before Christ. I mean, I can see so many situations. I mean, where God's hand was on me. God's protection was on me. God was dealing with me. I didn't recognize it then, but I see it now. Well, from before time, from before the foundation of the world, when the day you were born again, I was born again December 13, 1971, God was not surprised. He was not surprised. I believe it was in the fullness of time that I came to Christ. What does that word literally mean? This is such an amazing meaning. Proorizo is the Greek word. Predestined, it means to determine beforehand and to limit in advance. To determine beforehand and to limit in advance. In the foreknowledge and predetermination of God, your life is set as far as God is concerned. There's a reason for your existence. Now, you can argue with God. Paul tried to argue with God. I'm not called to preach. How can I be called to preach? I fear public speaking. See, in order for us to step into that purpose that God has chosen from before the foundation of the world, I've got to break through barriers of fear and inadequacy and incompetence. Am I competent in everything? No. Am I competent to do what I'm doing? No. In other words, we, we, we build our own barriers around ourselves called safety zones. I feel safe here. Safe spaces. Well, God wants to break us out of our safe spaces. There's things for all of us. He has determined beforehand... And he has limited me in advance. Now, I can do things that he's not called me to do, but not with his grace and blessing. What did he predestine us to? To be conformed to the image of his son. That is to be like Jesus. What's your destiny in this world? To be like Jesus. Have you reached your destiny? No. Have I reached my destiny? No. But we should be increasingly more like Jesus. We should be, to be conformed to the image of his son is to be like Jesus. How? In our character, in our integrity, in our mindset and methods, and in our ways and means. It's not just being nice. Do you know nice is not a fruit of the spirit? <laughs> kind is. It's not wrong to be nice. But we, we see Jesus, so he's so nice. Yeah, until he turns up the, uh, the, the tables in the, in the temple. And it's so funny how Jesus deals with his disciples. Peter has a revelation in Matthew chapter 17. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This has been revealed to you by heaven itself. And four verses later, Jesus is looking at Simon and says, Get behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things of God, but the things that are of man. 
Are you willing to walk with Jesus to the point that he can look at you and say, get behind me because you're in the flesh? God wants to shape us. I'm not finished. He's not finished with me yet. And I know he's not finished with you, especially Nita. No, I'm kidding. She's further along than me, as you all know. Much further along. <laughs> our destiny, where we are headed, the destiny of our lives is Christ-likeness, to be like Jesus. It's ever before us. Though theoretically attainable, we will never fully reach it in this life. There's always going to be room for improvement. What does full maturity look like? It looks like Jesus. How do we reach our destiny? We walk out, we live what we're taught and what's imparted to us. We live it out. How, how do you get in shape? You work out. You know, if you, if you work out, then you get in shape. If you, need to, if you need to lose weight, then that happens through working out. If you need to uh, tone up your body, that happens through working out. If you need to, uh, you know, just even just walking itself. It's amazing what that does. So we walk out what we're taught and what's imparted to us. If we do not walk out and live what we learn and what's imparted to us, then we will not grow into increasing Christ-likeness. You know, you don't grow coming here. You do not grow sitting here. This is a part of the puzzle. This is a piece of it. But if you put it into practice out there, that's where you grow. That's where you grow. Uh, you know, people say, well, if I can just get to church, I'll grow. Well, you need to get to church. But <laughs> anyway, I'll go on. So let's go to the third thing, mission. 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 What is mission? It's what we're to be doing along our way to Christ-likeness. Our purpose is to live before the Lord for his pleasure. Our destiny is Christ-likeness. Living before the Lord for his pleasure takes us to Christ-likeness. And what are we to be doing along the way? That's mission. Being a people of influence in our culture. Do you know the majority... <laughs> The majority, even of this neighborhood, will never come into this building. But wherever you live, they'll see you. They'll hear you. They'll know you. For good or for bad. But we're called to be an influence for Christ, being a people of influence in our culture. Now, the definition of influence is powerful. It means the power to affect especially without any direct or apparent effort. <laughs> That's amazing. In other words, I, I hate to use the word virus, but we're impregnated by the life of God. We're impregnated by the life of God. I don't know if you've ever known a person that when they come into your presence, there's just something different about you. Nita tells the story when we lived in the suburbs back in the 80s. She went to this beauty shop, which was rather reprobate. And she wanted to stop, but God said, no, I want you in there. That's where I want you to be for influence. 
And one day, one of, the, one of the guys that worked there, he came there and said, I've got a question. What are you on? What are you on? And she said, what do you mean? I mean, what do you take? Are you on drugs or something? I said, why? I said, but there's just something different about you. She was on Jesus. Jesus was on her. Another lady was doing her nails in another place, and she said, she said, I was so depressed. And she said, I just had this thought this morning. You came before me, and it gave me hope that if somebody can live the way you live, maybe I can too. Now, I'm not trying to puff up Nita. That's Jesus in her life. In other words, we're called to be people of influence. You say, well, who, me? Yeah, you, but it's Jesus in you. That's why we grow. That's why we need to be in church to hear and then go out there and do. Being a people of influence, especially, it, it's sway. I have sway because of Jesus. Not for personal gain, but for the kingdom's sake. We're sent to seek and to save the lost and to disciple the nations. As I relate to God, I'll pick up on God's heartbeat. You know what God's heartbeat is? People. God has been painted ugly by religion and by the world. God's a big old mean God who sits on an ugly throne. He's got a long white beard. And he's mean. And he's just waiting for you to step out of line. He's just going to stomp on you. Well, if that's the case, he would have stomped on Adam. You think about it. Adam was created without sin. And he lived in the presence of God, and yet with that, what happened? He sinned. And so what does God do? God slaughters an animal, and he puts the skin on Adam to cover his nakedness. We don't understand mercy. If I got what I deserved, I would have been in hell a long time ago. As I relate to God, I pick up on his heartbeat. If God had treated us, hear this, if God had treated us the way we sometimes treat unbelievers, we would have never known redemption and salvation. Often our biggest hindrance in ministering to unbelievers is that we hold things against them. We don't forgive them. We must freely forgive, excuse me, before we were ever born or thought about God, he freely forgave all of us. You think about that. How did Jesus, how did Jesus, how did Jesus die for us? How did God, who sees the ending for the beginning? You know, I know how bad I was, but not really. God knows how terribly bad I was. I did horrible things I've forgotten. God knew it all and still knows it. And in spite of that, he paid the price for my salvation. He forgave me freely before I ever said, I'm sorry. He paid the price in advance. And we hold things against people in the world. We hold things against people in the church. I'll make you pay for that, Mickey. <laughs> I'm never going to forgive. That's the unforgivable. No. We must freely forgive others before we can effectively minister to them. So our mission, 
is to impact people. Not by running to them and do what I call a spiritual mugging, beating them over the head with the Bible. No, we're to serve people. We're to serve people. Some people won't let you serve them. <laughs> I've seen evidence of that. But I can't turn my heart against those people. I can't turn my heart against those people. So just to recap, God has purposely predestined all of us to mission. Mission is not a task. Mission is not a program. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of living and speaking. God opens doors for us to open our mouth. And when we open our mouth, God gives us wisdom on how to better. You say, well, I'm a, I, I don't speak well. Well, you know, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, D.L. Moody, he slaughtered the English language. He was worse than some people from Tennessee. They don't say, I seen it. They say, I seed it. I seed that with my own eyes. <laughs> I'm from Tennessee. I've heard plenty of that. So you may not speak well, but that's fine. <laughs> it's the Spirit of the Lord upon you. But let me just say this. If you need to increase your English ability to speak, go for it. That'll be all right. That'll be all right. In other words, what effort am I willing to lay out in my own life in order that I may more effectively minister to other people? So on this Pentecost Sunday, understand, Jesus gave us a commission in all four of the Gospels. In Matthew, he said, go make disciples of all the people groups. In Mark, he said, go preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke, he said, the promise of the Father is coming. Don't leave from Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. In John, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you retain, they retain. Whoever sins you remit, they remit. And what he's simply saying is, if you're not willing to forgive people, the job's not going to get done. And it's by the Spirit that we do that. And then in the book of Acts, he said, They wanted to know, when are you going to establish your kingdom? It's like the church today. When's Jesus coming back? And Jesus said, It's none of your business. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. So it's mission that we've been purposefully predestined for. There's a job to be done, and it's a joy. There's pain, there's sweat, <laughs> there's frustration, but there's the peace of God within that passes all human understanding just bow your heads not to be religious but just to take this in